You're listening to the Hub City Church Podcast. To learn more about Hub City Church, including our gathering times, you can check out our website at albanyhubcity.com. We're going to get into the Word today. I've been really enjoying this Galatians series. I hope you have as well. Um, Just diving into it, reading the book, um, not just as just this thing you can quote in the scriptures, but its own unique letter written to a unique people in a unique time. Um, And we get to dive into it and get into it culturally and what it means. And then, of course, talk about what it can mean for us today. And there's just some rich theology that we're going to get into today. Um, So it's really, um, it's exciting. I love it when the text of of God's word is what we are going to study. There's a lot that we can say and a lot that um, we can make God's word fit into our agendas. Um, but to let God's word speak and then to, to um, glean from that is such a joy uh, and an honor to bring that today. So um, so just kind of real quick intro recap kind of stuff. Um, we've been walking through this letter written by Paul as an apostle of Jesus commissioned to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. Okay, so that's pretty much anybody outside of the Jewish way of life. And the crazy thing about it is the Gentiles could not be included into this. They felt like there was a big divide. There were these walls. You were either Jewish or you were Gentile. You were either circumcised or you were uncircumcised. Paul was bringing this message that the God, though, that they had heard about in Christ Jesus, they had heard about what happened with Jesus on the cross, this God that they feared, this God that they wanted to know was now fully available to them just like he has been for the Jewish people for their entire existence. And in our scriptures, we can read their history. We can read a lot of what God has done. The, the God they've heard stories about, the God they've even had move against their ancestors in their history in a mighty way. This God loved them wanted to be with them, and wanted them fully in his family as sons and daughters. That's a crazy message. That's a powerful, crazy message. And what do they need to do? Surrender themselves to Jesus as the Christ. To surrender their old self and ways of life into a new creation life that's being remade from the inside out. This is the good news to the Gentiles, to be fully welcomed into the family of God through faith in the grace of Jesus Christ. But what's crazy is this is not an entirely whole new revelation that Paul is bringing up. This was actually preached all those long years ago from the get-go to the promise to Abraham that he would be the father of a nation that would be a blessing to the world. We looked at Genesis 15 last week. Last week, we ended on this passage in, in Galatians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. I want to go back to it and start there today. Galatians 3, 8. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Look at the language here. Before the law was given, before Jesus on the cross, before Abraham was even circumcised, that came a few chapters later in Genesis 17, the gospel was given to Abraham that God was going to use him and his genealogy to bless the whole world. 
to restore to himself all things on earth. The gospel at the foundation level to the ancient Israelite people is that one day all people would be welcomed into this incredible promise and join them in this holistic pursuit of one God, one faith. The largest hindrance, if you know your scriptures well and you've read in your histories, the largest hindrance of the ancient Jewish people was actually outside influences. They wanted this, right? This was, this was, they want to follow their God. But outside influences always got in the way. Of course, they're a human, just like you and me. So there's a prone and a bent towards flesh and sinful desires. But over and over again, you look at what happens to the Israelite people. And at some level, there is always some corruption or outside influence or outside ideologies that come in and poison their minds away from God, away from their faith, leading the people to compromise, justifying evil actions as good when they should have been named evil and stayed away from. And this is compounded when God gives them the sacred law. Not only the Ten Commandments, but there was over 600 laws that he gave his people to follow. There were laws about when you broke the laws on how to become clean again, right? This nation was to be a blessing to all nations. This nation was being constantly crushed by the weight of that law, constantly falling short, constantly not living up to the, following the law perfectly. Now, this might seem super random and maybe trite, but just hang with me for a mo moment. So growing up, I grew up with video games. And I, I played video games, I love them. Uh, in my 20s, I realized I'm too, I get too addicted to fun things, so I gave it up. And, um, and one thing that I remember games do so well is they create these achievements, right? They create these ways that they challenge the gamer. As you're playing, you can get these achievements, say not just to beat the game or whatever, but if you do it a certain way or you find a certain item or you close your eyes while you play it, I don't know. You get these, uh, you get these achievements that happen and they're kind of these medals. Or whatever. Isn't that funny? Yeah. yeah. You get these achievements or medals or anything like that that kind of pop up there, right? So all that aside, the law was never meant to be an achievement, right? It was never meant to be given to the people to say, all right, let's see how you stack up to this or like a challenge, right? We'll look at this a lot more next week, but the law was given because of sin, it was given to a sinful people to help them no longer conform to those sinful desires, influences from inside or outside, but to be transformed by the renewing of their mind and actions and commitment to God. It was a way for them to see what they are struggling with is actually sin and that they can't save themselves by just achievement, achievements, but that they actually need something outside of them to save them. Right? The law always pointed towards the need for a Savior. That's why Jesus came. Jesus fulfilled that destiny. Now, Paul's been speaking of the positives of being freed from the law and under the grace of Jesus in faith. And this same faith is what Abraham had all those long years ago. The greatest thing to know about Abraham is that he trusted God. He believed God would do what he said he would do. And this made Abraham a man of faith, and this was his righteousness before God, his faith. So all who have that same faith for generations to come will fall into the same trust and faith. Okay, so that's one. But Paul, however, and we'll see this today, he sees a different kind of, quote, Abrahamic family 
happening in the church in Galatia that's disturbing him. And that's not one of recognizing Jesus as the Christ, but instead going back to and still relying on the law for the basis of righteousness. This Abrahamic family, still under the law, didn't recognize the gospel as something to be given to others, but held onto and for others to become like them to get it. But Paul is writing to the churches of Galatia who are struggling with these two ways of looking at this family of God, that the proper and true way of the gospel is that, is that of giving in Abraham, that that's the blessing is to be shared so that God's family can be one, united in him, not just ethnic heritage. Okay, you guys still with me? All right, let's get into it. So if we notice, Paul ends verse 9 with the blessings of faith, but now in verse 10, he moves to curses. Verse 10, chapter 3, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, this, is, this, this passage has been really fun to study because we're going to do this a couple times today. Paul actually uses these phrases not just to proof text his sermons in this letter where he kind of goes back and forth, Old Testament, this kind of thing. He actually gives us these, these links. The Tim Mackey from the Bible Project, if you've, if you've listened or, read, or seen those videos, he calls them hyperlinks. There's these little phrases that aren't just phrases, but they actually take you to a moment or a memory or an aspect, right? For example, what Paul's doing, if I was standing here in our American context and I was talking about racial reconciliation, okay, and I said in it that I have a dream, okay, you might think that I had a dream, but for most of us, you would probably think of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., right? You'd probably think of that, and what it did is it takes you to a moment, a movement, something more than just words. Okay, Paul is doing that. When he says here, when he says, curse be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. You'll see in your Bible, it's actually in quotations. When you say that for the ancient Jewish people, blessings and curses, curses are a very well-known concept. Like this is core language going all the way back to Moses and the wilderness generation, especially found in the book of Deuteronomy. Okay, so Deuteronomy 27, you can turn there if you want. It's an incredible passage. But Paul is quoting Deuteronomy 27. There's a hyperlink here. So we're going to click on it, of course. And if you go in your Bible, you'll see this incredible scene where the people of God who have been wandering the wilderness finally came to the edge of the promised land. Okay, they're about to cross over through the Jordan River to the land that is now given to them. But Moses gives them instructions. When they cross over the Jordan River, they are to set up these monuments of stone that remind them of who they are and how they are set apart by living a different way to represent and be witnesses to their God. As they do this, they pass through the rivers, which is also a super cool baptism analogy. They are also to pass through two mountains that create this valley. And I put a picture up here, Mount Ibal and Mount Gerizim. That picture up there is the first picture up there <clears throat> or just one? There you go. <clears throat> Excuse me. So imagine the Israelites are coming from over here. I put those little arrows in there, pass through the Jordan River, and then there's two mountains, Abal and Gerizim, okay? So I put the next picture is a more like kind of realistic view of they would actually pass through that valley there. And here's what Moses charges. This is crazy, okay? Deuteronomy 27. That day that they were going to pass into the land, Moses charged the people saying, when you have crossed over the Jordan, 
These shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And these shall stand on Mount Ebal for the curse, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. And the Levites shall declare to all the men of Israel in a loud voice. And what they do is they, they basically, they go up on the two mountains and one half shouts blessings, one half shouts curses over the people. And at the end of the curses, the elders were to say what Paul quotes here in Galatians. This is Deuteronomy 27, 26. Now cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them, and all the people shall say amen. Now imagine yourself being an Israelite here, okay? You just passed through the waters of the Jordan. Now you're passing in the shadow of two great mountains, hearing on one side half of your elders are, sh are shouting blessings for obedience on one side, and on the other side, curses for disobedience. And you're walking through that, being covered in that as you're going through. And covered what is going to be written down as law. And the act of passing through that is reinforcing the covenant that you are under. What a powerful moment. Paul, in his letter to Galatians, with this phrasing, is bringing his audience to that moment. They didn't experience this, but their ancestors did. The ones who God brought into the promised land, the ones who established everything they know as a way of life, and Paul brings them to this point. Now, Paul, do you remember Paul's resume? He knows the law probably better than anybody, right? What it, he knows what it means to be raised under the law, and he brings every Jewish person into this memory. But as he's been arguing for a few chapters of this letter now, he says, but the law was never meant to become the only basis for living. It was just the how to live as someone who has come under this covenant and rulership of God. This should make a different kind of person, a person who the Creator made them to be all along. So Paul is moving towards this understanding by stating in verses uh, 11 and 12 of chapter 3, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for, another quote, the righteous shall live by faith. And then verse 12, but the law is not of faith, rather, quote, the one who does them shall live by them. What do you think those quotes are? Two more hyperlinks. Come on, guys, let's do it. <laughs> so Paul, he's a brilliant writer, right? He's like, he's really trying to steep the people into like, these aren't just things I'm saying. This is stuff from the get-go, from the beginning. So we're going to look at two. The righteous shall live by faith is a quote from Habakkuk. I know you all memorized Habakkuk. And the other one, the one who does them shall live by them, is a quote from Leviticus. So Paul is connecting two huge history points here into one idea, okay? Stay with me. The main point of Habakkuk, if you go read it, it's actually incredible, um, is that the people of God are being influenced in all kinds of outside influences once again, right? There's sexual immorality, drunkenness, violence, general human depravity. The problem is Israel has begun to look just like the other nations who follow the desires of the flesh, and they're about, in their context, they're about to be destroyed and exiled to Babylon. God uses the prophet Habakkuk here, not to, a lot of times he uses prophets to yell at the people, like, do better, get better, whatever, but here at Habakkuk, he actually yells mostly at God. He's actually saying, God, why? How long are we going to do this? So let me read you just the first four lines of Habakkuk. 
This is Habakkuk crying out to God, Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? You guys ever prayed like that? (laughs) (laughs) Or cry to you violence and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Powerful, right? This perversion is happening among God's people. The outside influences, like the people that were supposed to be different than the Egypts and the Babylons and the Assyrians, all these world superpowers, and yet Israel was becoming just like them. And and Habakkuk is crying out, God, what can we do? And God answers Habakkuk with a charge summarized in this phrase. In Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous shall live by his faith. God says, you want to be righteous? Live by faith. Wait and put your trust in me. Now, to skip to the next quote in Leviticus 18, the context is of Egypt living in immorality as a representation of the world and its values. And there's a reminder here to specifically not look like these world powers, Leviticus 18.1. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived. You shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. So to bring it all together, you see what Paul has done here with two hyperlinks there, phrases that you can just quote there, but the stories, the gravity, the history behind them, Habakkuk, faith is righteousness. And Leviticus, God's statutes and rules were how to best live out this faith. So Paul just took the people and us as we're learning this stuff, he took us there by quoting these two Old Testament passages. To us, it's a study, right? We can look through it and we can kind of like, oh, cool, connections. I love connections, right? But to the people reading this letter, like this would have been rich history for them. Paul has just brought them back to their or- origin stories. Abraham was given the gospel promise of blessing that was through faith, not the law. The people were given the law then to preserve the witness of that blessing promise. But instead, what happened is they exchanged the truth for a lie of the world, and through that law were found guilty of becoming just like the world, thus becoming not a people of blessing, but a people of curse, right? Even though the people were caught in failure, they were caught in this, God always keeps his promises. Paul brings us to that promise fulfilled in Jesus. Verse 13 Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Redeemed is strong, freed from slavery language. Like this is paying a debt that caused someone to be no longer bound to whoever or whatever they were in debt to. 
Like this is strong language. Set free, redeemed from slavery to the law by Jesus becoming the curse so that now the only thing left is what was there all along, the promised blessing. Verse 14, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. That's a beautiful passage. Let me read it one time. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. This was always the goal and always the promise made by God, not to have the law forever, but that Israel would be a nation that is blessed to be a blessing upon the world. And that great blessing was brought about by Christ Jesus, and the result was that now that blessing promise could extend to the Gentiles. In fact, there'd be no distinction between Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised in terms of righteousness, because they would both have the promised spirit as their sign of the promise. Like the mark and the unifier of this oneness is the Spirit of God. There is much we can learn of the Spirit and His role in our lives, but this is one of the big ones. The Spirit is the promised blessing that restores God's people. You see that here in Galatians. When we're in Christ, the Spirit of God is manifested within us, making us new from the inside out to live as a people who have a God. Not a people who have a religion, but a people who know their God. Can you think of a more intimate way of knowing someone than being connected by the Spirit? Like being so intimately known by our God that He gives us His own Spirit so that we could know Him. Paul moves now to show how binding this new promise through the Spirit is. Verse 15, to give a human example, brothers, Even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. He explains what he means. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law... It, is no, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. So real quick, scholars believe that that 430 years is a time between Abraham and Moses, kind of spanning that, right, from promise to law, kind of using that. If you go through the math, it might not completely add up. So it's kind of more of just saying that, like, from Abraham to Moses, this is what we're talking about. They're saying there was a promise first, and then there was the law. But the law doesn't take away the initial promise. It was the God-given way to live into that promise. Paul is using the example of a man-made covenant. Once it's signed, sealed, and delivered, you can't undo it or unmake it once it's done. And he's comparing it to the promise of God. How much more would God's promises be unchanged and undefiled? The promises of God are more binding, more unchanging, more eternal than anything man could ever produce, even if it means something permanent on this earth, because the God of the universe is not bound to this earth like you and I are, right? The inheritance God's people have received is eternal one because the promise is not bound to earth, but to spirit, right? It's not bound to the flesh, but to spirit. 
Now, you might have the question, and I did too, of like, well, then why the law, right? Why, why would we get into, why, why, why would this whole thing be a thing? And Jesse's going to teach us next week. <laughs> She's going to explain all of that, and I, that's great. She's brilliant. But the point of this passage today is Paul is giving the argument that the promise of God, which was the gospel given to Abraham, that God would establish his people of blessing to the world through his spirit, was now fully available to the Gentiles. Now, you and I sitting here might think, like, that's great. Like, high five, that sounds like a cool thing. Like, we understand inclusion, right? We actually get upset in America, especially if someone's not included in anything, right? Right, we teach our kids to accept others and welcome them in in general life and also within the church, right? But if we step out a bit, we'll see that that's also because of how far we've come. The crazy thing is most of us in this room, not everyone, but most of us in this room would be considered Gentiles. You ever thought about that? Most of us don't have like ethnic Jewish heritage, or heritage in our history, right? Some do, that's amazing, right? And you, you know what, like any Gentile in here would not truly be able to worship their God if this gospel was not true. Like, we would not be allowed to truly be invited to have the Spirit of God to be welcomed into the family of God if this gospel was not true. Like, maybe if we followed, uh, in, in this time, maybe if we followed Jewish synagogue law to the T, we'd be allowed to enter and participate, as, but not as equal members. And that's not a knock on, on Jewish culture at all. It's beautiful. And as a student of the scriptures, I have incredible respect for Jewish culture. But I'm also incredibly and profoundly thankful for Paul and this letter that he wrote, and the theology that it teaches. Because I would be considered a Gentile. But now, for me, because of Jesus, I can read about the promised blessing of Abraham in Genesis 15. I can read Paul's arguments here in Galatians of why it is by grace alone that we are saved. I can have faith that I am fully included in that promised blessing. Just as it was counted to Abraham as righteousness that he believed God would do what he said he'd do, I can have that exact same faith. And it's the promised spirit through faith that is my mark of this covenant. It gives me great, great hope and joy in that. And church, our worship today is not just religious practice, right? We're not following some sort of rules or laws, right? It is a heartfelt thankfulness and devotion to the God who redeemed us from the slavery of self and gave us a new identity in his spirit. It's in the same confession that my flesh is weak is the pronouncement that the spirit of the living God is within me. This is why we worship our God. It's his strength in our weaknesses. It's his way written on our hearts. It's his spirit that renews us. It's all him. And for us, it's all surrender to him. And once those two things happen, then we get to live in a newness that we cannot produce in ourselves. We get to live in a new life that is truly life because it's a life marked by grace that is all from God. So that's why today, let's worship, right? You know how we do it. We worship in song, worship in prayer, and sharing the resources we have to build up this community in love. And of course, we get to have and partake and receive this communion and go to the bread and to the cup 
and to receive this oneness that we have in Jesus Christ as Lord, remembering the curse he became on the cross so that we might stand here, sit here imperfectly as the righteousness of God.